This week, Three Sides of the Coin, we're joined by somebody who's booking Bruce Kulick for an event. Tried to book Vinnie Vincent for an event. A little insight on why that whole thing fell apart. Shock. <laughs> and uh, we have some great insights. You're going to want to check this one out. This was a lot of fun to do. So stay tuned. This is Three Sides of the Coin. Talking all things KISS. I want to rock and roll all night. You're listening to Three Sides of the Coin. Everybody, welcome back to another episode of Three Sides of the Coin. I'm one of your three co-hosts, Michael Branvold. It's always Tommy Summers and Mark Cicchini this week. So I think we're just giving up on Tommy's job of reading comments because he just never does anyway. So why why fool ourselves into thinking it's going to happen? Um, so, Tommy, I don't know what we well, need so for. something to do with you having to go get Thule, then. Right. <laughs> okay. It's all about all right. you. So, our special guest this week is... <laughs> Mark, who are we joined by this week? By Mr. Nick Morocco. Um, owns Rock City over in Livonia, Michigan. And uh, fascinating guy. Younger Kiss fan. Uh, great guy. It's got a kick-ass store, and uh, next week, when you're tuning in here next Monday or Tuesday, uh, that Friday, the 9th, over at his store, Mr. Bruce Kulik's going to be there, and uh, stick around here in a few minutes. You're going to get to meet Nick, uh, one of the owners, and he's going to tell you all about this incredible event. This is Bruce Kulik's second time at the store, always a big success, and he's going to be out there playing uh, revenge licks and classic kiss licks. And you're going to get a chance to meet him and get your picture taken with him and get an autograph. And uh, I guess then, gentlemen, without further ado, we're going to have uh, Mr. Nick Morocco. All right. Want to get your official Three Sides of the Coin logo and Shocker tee? Now you can. We ship worldwide. Get yours online at shop.threesidesofthecoin.com. of KISS Radio. Every week, three sides of the coin radio. Live, Sundays, 8 p.m. Pacific. Monsters of Rock Channel, Dash Radio Network. We program the radio show. We pick the songs. No corporate overlord telling us what to play. Only KISS Deep Cuts. We play the songs the fans really want to hear. Three sides of the coin radio. Every Sunday, 8 p.m. Pacific. Hey, Three Sides fans. Very, very excited today to have my good friend, fellow Detroiter and Rock City owner, Mr. Nick Morocco on. Uh, uh, He's going to be, well, let's just say he's had a number of pretty big names at his store. And uh, one of the the names you guys are all familiar with, Bruce Kulik, going to be there this Friday because it's going to air next Tuesday. And you can head on out to Rock City and meet Bruce Kulik and talk to Mr. Nick Morocco. Welcome. Thank you, Nick. How are you? Good, good. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm a, I'm a big fan. I follow I follow the podcast pretty, uh, I mean, as religiously as I can, I suppose. But, yeah, I'm Every very Sunday familiar. Well, we yeah. hear you have quite a cool store. 
I try. I try. Mark, Mark's been here, and I, I've heard him say some kind words on the podcast, so that's very appreciated. Well, I tell you what, um, just a little backstory. Um, as, as everybody who watches the show knows, I mean, I'm a huge Deep Purple fan as well. And uh, Glenn Hughes was at uh, Nick's store, and I didn't know Nick from Adam, and I couldn't believe the uh, how incredibly nice you were and accommodating. I mean, not just to me, but to everybody. It was, but it was really cool to be. I was at a Deep Purple event, and uh, you know, we're, I'm here talking Kiss with uh, with the owner of the place when I was there, so that was pretty cool. And uh, again, too, guys, his store, and I'll let him go into more of it, but you guys got everything from you know guitars and drums to CDs and records. Incredible, incredible store. Well worth uh, getting out to Livonia. So, um, Nick, why don't you tell us now? You've had Bruce Kulick at your store before. Um, Tell tell everybody what they, what they can expect on Friday the 9th of August um, uh, with Mr. Bruce Kulik. And, 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 and re- real quick, before you get into that, so people who are just listening right now, right away, can find out where you're located. So we're located in Livonia, Michigan at uh, Crossroads or Five Mile Road in Farmington. I just lost your Question audio. Question seven three four seven four four. I just oh, lost your you audio for a bit there. Can you hear me now? Yeah. All right. I'm not. I'm not moving. Um. So, uh, yeah, we're located in Livonia, Michigan. Uh, best number to reach us if you got any questions seven three four seven four four five four six two. Um, cross streets are Five Mile Road in Farmington. We're pretty easy to find. Southwest corner. Got a big sign that says Rock City. Big guitar painted out in the window, so it's hard to miss. But uh, occasionally people get lost, so feel free to give us a call. Um, with Bruce, um, yes, we had Bruce here in, um, I believe it was July of 2016. He was our first in-store performance. Um, I actually am lucky enough to call Bruce a friend. A friend. He's uh, purchased a couple guitars from us over the years, and uh, he was the first guy to sort of give me a chance at doing an in-store before I – started getting all these massive names and he really helped us build the foundation. So for that, I'm incredibly grateful. Um, when he was here last time, he played, uh, he played some tracks from, uh, revenge. I think he did heart of Chrome and unholy. Um, and I believe he played, uh, maybe all, all night as well. He played a few kiss classics where he played the guitar parts and stuff in person. So people could see also did a Q and a, um, you know, answered fans' questions and stuff, and then, of course, a meet and greet after he was done, and we're on track to do a similar thing. I think the songs will be different, but similar vibes, similar uh, run time and stuff, but Bruce is one of the best clinicians there is, if, you, if you've never seen him. It's very informative, very nice, very engaging, and uh, very interesting. And how, how long is his event going to be? Uh, it'll probably run about two hours, I'm thinking, with the meet and greet. So I think his performance will be about an hour and then uh, about an hour to folks take pictures, et cetera. So let, and, and let, many- let's just get the details out of the specifics out of the way. So, you know, do you need tickets for the whole event? Are there upgrade tickets for meet and greet and photos? Give us all the specifics. So it, it's open to people of all ages. Uh, no tickets required. Admission is free. Um, you can bring uh, one thing from home for Bruce to sign. 
Uh, if you want to get additional things signed, you can purchase them from Bruce here at the at the event. He'll have uh, I know he'll have some glossy photos, uh, CDs, records, I believe, uh, some pick packs. You know, Bruce always comes with with some great merchandise. So the yeah, just the only rule that we have people people uh, follow is just the one thing from home. And then if you want. You know, five photos signed. You just purchase them from Bruce right here at the event. Uh, no upgrades. Uh, he'll meet everybody that comes and uh, pose for a pro photo. Our, our guy on hand here will take a nice photo of you with Bruce. And it'll be uploaded on our site. You can download it, print it, put it on Facebook, Instagram, any of that stuff you want to do. So it's a pr pretty cut and dry event. It's not like uh, the old KISS conventions or anything like that. Although that's kind of my inspiration for doing these things. Um, is, is he going to sign guitars? I don't believe so. Um, okay. I, the jury's still out on that, but um, he's actually going to be playing two of our guitars here um, that we have in stock that you'll be able to purchase that he uses for the event. Oh, nice. uh, L yeah, an LTD Eclipse 1000 and then a uh, M Series 1000 in uh, Snow White. So he, of course, will sign those for you, but I don't think it's any outside guitars or guitar parts. So, so, so just to recap, if I've got it right, it is 100% free to show up to sit through his q a his his playing of the guitar and getting one item of yours autographed anything correct. above that would be an additional purchase from from bruce if you wanted more items correct and you do get you do get a photo with him as great. well that, that's a great deal yeah and how many folks can you fit into your place for an event like this um you know we we what we always tell people because that's a question we get all the time is we we don't we have a capacity that we work within. We've never turned anybody away. I think the official capacity is about, uh, I want to say about 170. I mean, it gets pretty tight in here. Um, but we always try and get as many people in as we can. I, like I said, anytime there's been a performance, we've never turned anybody away, and we've had it pretty crammed in here. So, so if someone is coming from out of the area, get there early. That's the only way you're going to ensure that you get in because you never know. Exactly. I, that's what we tell people all the time. Lineup starts. Uh, we usually lock the store down. People can line up outside usually about two hours before the event begins. So the event starts at six o'clock. We'll probably open the doors about quarter to six. So I would say anytime after three, if you want to get here and wait in line, you'll be you'll be all set. Because I went I went there totally dry out of the blue when I did the Glenn Hughes one. So well run. Not just saying thank you. So well run. Um Everything, everything that that Nick just said was spot on, and and I observed it. I again as an outsider when I went to that one, everything was was perfect, very well, very well run. Thank and that you. picture, and you, you matter of fact, you get up on the little stage, they take a picture and everything. It's awesome, absolutely awesome. Nick, Nick, are there seats or is it standing only? Um, there's there's always limited seats. Um, we can't we can't get that many people in here with with all chairs. So usually we have like for somebody like Bruce, we'll probably have uh, anywhere from sixty to seventy chairs, and those will be first come first serve. And then there's plenty of standing room in the back. So that sounds great. I mean, what a cool event. Yeah, we work really hard. You know, I, I appreciate Mark pointing out, um, you know, that that it runs well and stuff. Because I always look at it as like. I've gone to these events before and seen them ran poorly. So I'm always like, as a fan, frustrated. You know, what, what's the best experience 
um, not just for the artists, but for the for the fans that are attending and stuff like that. So um, we try and go above and beyond and make it smooth and enjoyable and, you know, just above people's expectations. So it's great to hear that that somebody noticed. Well, I, when, you know, it's funny when when we when I did the the Bruce or excuse me the the Glenn Hughes one, you had a couple people outside with the tickets. You had a couple people as you came in going, "That's where to go." It, there wasn't like you just showed up with your ticket and fuck it, you know, right? You stand there with your thumb, you know. But so so it was again very well done, and and also and this is something non kiss, but. You've had some pretty big names there uh, recently. I'm sure those were, uh, and I heard nothing but raves. By the way, about good. They just had they just had Getty Lee at the store. Wow, uh, that's big. Two ago. That's yeah, I'm, I'm I'm still my mind's still blown. I still can't believe that it happened. I'm, I'm I keep trying to convince myself that yes, it did happen, and and we got it done. But yeah, that was a crazy we got the notice four days before it happened so it was sort of jump into action and i think it was kind of our reputation that sold the the management on doing it here and of course we were incredibly grateful and it was such a great experience getty was one seriously i know everybody always says it but uh he was one of the nicest guys you ever dealt with just super humble super nice accommodating to everybody and he was such a professional he did i think we had 385 people showed up to that and uh, he's such a pro that he talked to everybody. He didn't do post photos, but he talked to everybody, personalized their book, you know, talked, he had a, had a small conversation with them. He did 380 people in an hour and 20 minutes. Wow. That's fast. <laughs> I, yeah. We, I'm like, man, that you want to talk about somebody having some experience that, that about summed up experience for me. <laughs> and again, I, I heard, I, I had a few friends that went, I couldn't, I couldn't get over cause it worked, but plus those tickets went fast. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because you had, you had to buy a book and, and so, but everybody I talked to again, same thing Nick. boy, I couldn't believe how well it was. Same thing. I, I got my book signed. Getty was nice. It wasn't just so, uh, and then you had Nina from Alice's band. I think yeah, last week. Yep, yeah, Nita Strauss, uh, just a couple days after Getty. And that was another packed house. Um, one of our uh, one of the managers here is, is good friends with Nita, so he was able to hook that up. And we only had about nine days to promote that. We had 180 people show up to that. So it's great. It, yeah, it was crazy. And then following that, just a couple days later, we had um, Blackberry Smoke, if you're familiar with them. Oh, yeah. Are you serious? Yeah. They're my favorite. I love those guys. Those they're guys are fantastic. They're they're an amazing band, and I'm honored to call them friends. They're some of my best friends in the business. In fact, the shirt I'm wearing, uh, Britt, the drummer, Britt Turner, yeah. his his merch company does all of our merchandise. So, very cool. Yeah, I just I think those guys, those guys, and in this moment are two of the coolest bands out there touring. I've ne- I've seen. I- I'm not too familiar within this moment musically, but I did see them at one of the Nam shows, and I was impressed by their uh, by their performance and stuff. A little bit of little bit of Kiss influence in there. You yeah, know, oh the- yeah, well, they're totally opposite bands, but nonetheless, both really cool in their own way. So, God, if I would have known about the Blackberry Smoke, I would have flown out for that. Oh yeah, there well, go, guys. Yeah, they'll they'll, uh, they'll be back. We we that's the second time they've been here, so we'll have them again at some point. I'm hoping. I mean, they had a good time, so very cool. Well, I had to I had to bail a few moments ago because I had a I had a pretty big work project going on. But I know you didn't talk about it yet. But um, one of the things I wanted to talk about, Nick, because uh, work work work. Um, 
you um, you were proposed to have Vinnie Vincent at your store. Yeah. Um, Sign a contract. All right. So first, first question: <laughs> Who proposed it? Who who reached out to you? Um. Or did you reach out to them? No, I think it was. Um, I'm trying to remember how this played out because there was a few. I mean, there was a, a couple of calls back and forth and stuff. I want to say my dad, who turned me on to Kiss and everything, who's a massive Kiss fan, um, he purchased something from Vinny. I don't know if it was a poster or a guitar or something. And they got to talking, and my dad said, "Oh, my son and I own this store, and you know, blah blah blah." So that I think is where the ball sort of got rolling. So I, I guess it was sort of like a mutual thing of we were like, "Hey, would you ever consider doing something?" It was right after the Atlanta um, Kiss Expo. So right. um, I think I want to say we pitched it to him, and then um, you know, he wanted he wanted to do it with us. So um, I think it was a mutual thing. I would say. Now, did, did he? Did he or his management call up to cancel or what? Uh... How, how how did it, how did it move from that point on? I mean, you know, and and you can reveal whatever you want. If you don't want to talk specifics, feel free to to omit it. But you know, how did what happened? Um. Well, let me let me preface okay. something too. That wasn't supposed to come out when he was talking about that, correct? Uh, we were still, um, coming up with some final details and figuring out how we were going to do it, when we were going to do it, et cetera. And then I actually got a call from Mark at the store and he was like, he goes, is Vinnie Vincent coming there? And I'm like, uh, I'm not supposed to say, I don't know how, you know, I mean, I know he's in the know, but, um, I'm like, uh, you know, I, I kind of no comment type thing. And he's like, well, I had a bunch of people text me and say they just heard Vinny talking about it. So Vinny had said when he did that Mitch LaFon interview on the Mitch LaFon podcast that he was coming here. So um, to answer and that your wasn't, question. That wasn't that long ago. No, no. This was, I think we were slated to do this um, in July, like a couple weeks ago. Okay. Or it may have even been first week of august i can't remember because there's been so many uh and, so and, many and, and just so i get an idea were you trying to do this a similar type of event where he'd come and and do a q a and he'd play some some of his music and then he'd do autographs and photos yes. and all that. okay yeah yes I, um if i remember correctly i think it was proposed as doing the um uh, similar to what he was going to do in Nashville, like the speedball jam thing, and then a meet and greet photos, et cetera, um, is how is how we were going to do it. So, um, yeah, it was going to be a ticketed event and all that stuff. And I actually spoke to Vinny on the phone probably four or five times, something like that. And I know, you know, uh, a lot of things, you know, get said about him and stuff, um, whether they're justified or not, I'm not sure. But when I was dealing with him, he, he was, you know, super nice, cordial, you know, wanted to make the event work. So we were just talking specifics on that. Um, and then I, I don't know if, if we, I don't think anybody decided to pull the plug. I think we were just sort of like, Hey, let's throw a delay on it. But to answer your question mark no it wasn't supposed to come out at the time because we hadn't really made a specific agreement on when we were going to do it when we weren't so um it did take me by surprise and trust me you weren't the only person that called asking so we kind of just played dumb and you know etc 
<laughs> well, you know, Vinny was has always been nice to us. I mean, you know, when we did that stuff in Atlanta, he was very cordial as well. And when we were in uh, or uh, uh, in Florida too, it uh, yeah, yeah, Spooky was really nice. And then when we had Bobby Rock on, then he flipped out. So yeah, I don't know. He did. He didn't. You know, I wish I had some dirt or some juice or something for you, but I, 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 I can't say that I do. He didn't say anything bad about anybody or, or I mean, it seemed to me, um, it, as it did, I'm sure if you guys listen to the Mitch LaFon thing, that he was giving every indication that he wanted to do this for the fans and be back sort of in the scene and do cool stuff. So that's how I took it. That's how every conversation with him and I went. Um, I was excited about doing it as a Kiss fan and just, you know, as a fan of doing events and stuff. It's obviously great for the store. Um, anytime you can have people of uh, like this in, whether it's Bruce, whether it's Vinnie Vincent, whether it's Glenn Hughes, Getty Lee, I mean, anytime that's helpful to us. So I'm always about doing it. And, and in my experience with dealing with him, he, he was a, he was a great guy. Did you did you have any you know because you 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 said this was something that would have happened uh, in July, uh, you know obviously as the months went by here in the past things got crazier and crazier in Vinny's world especially related to other events and his events. At any point were you like aware of all this stuff and going boy you know are do we need to be concerned about what we're getting involved with here? Um, yeah, it crossed my mind. I mean, you know, I, I've always operated on that. You got to give people the benefit of the doubt until they don't, um, you know, but, uh, like I said, his intentions seemed good. Um, the only thing I discussed with him was about the, um, you know, the Nashville cancellation thing of the thing he was going to do in February with the band and everything. And, um, the way he explained it to me, Mark, I know you're you're in a band. I'm not sure about about you guys, but um, he explained it just any way as if like a bar gig fell through type thing, you know, where you had an agreement. This wasn't, you know, stipulations A, B, and C weren't met, so you know he wasn't obligated to perform. So uh, that that was what I took away from that. I I tried my best not to get involved with the with the drama and the specifics I did, you know, of course you have to be a little concerned. Right. But he was so, I mean, he was such a nice guy and he was so great to talk to that. Uh, I just, uh, I had my faith in him. I, I, and, uh, he, he, he seemed to enjoy what the store was doing and stuff and was excited about it. Cause he hadn't been to Detroit in so long. So I don't know, uh, the, the same way the Getty Lee thing worked out. I just always cross my fingers and hope for the best type thing. Now we, 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 we kind of, we kind of know now that, Vinny doesn't seem to be into wanting to perform live. I mean, he did the one event for the Kiss Cruise, which wasn't exactly a shredding event, and he's had a couple others which have canceled. Um, were you getting any indications from him that he was eh, not sure if he wanted to do live performances? Was he Was he into everything you presented to him, or was there anything where he was like, no, I don't want to do all these autographs. No, I don't want to play live. He was, um, I would say he was up for anything. I mean, it was his, he sort of had the, um, what's the word I'm thinking of? Just like the schedule determined, you know, he came to me with a pitched event, meaning like, you know, I'll do a performance, then we'll do a Q and a, then we'll do a meet and greet. So I never had to pitch him on any of that stuff. He seemed um, like that was his ideal situation. So I just, I rolled with that. 
Hey, Nick, I want to want to go back a bit because you said that uh, your father is a yeah, is a is a is a big Kiss fan. Yes. Um. When was the first time you became aware of Kiss? When was the first time you saw them? And uh, what's your Kiss history? When did uh, when did you get bitten by the Kiss bug? I got bitten by the Kiss bug um, extremely early. I would say, you know, as far as I can remember, I can remember this. It was when I was before I even went to school. I was Kiss and the Beatles were the two things that pushed me to music. Um, obviously, my dad. Um, my mom worked all the time. My dad was who sort of raised me in my, in my small years. Um, so he always had, you know, he was collecting the bootleg tapes and, you know, the, uh, cassettes and all that stuff. So I was constantly surrounded by it. He's had a massive kiss collection since I was a little kid. Um, so I was always enamored with the makeup and the spectacle and things like that. And the first thing I can remember really, um, watching all the time was, uh, two things actually extreme close up and um and kiss meets the phantom so at three four years old those were two completely different things um to to be watching obviously one's a makeup era one's not although extreme close up is interspliced with old stuff but uh so that was kind of my introduction to it and i got completely obsessed with it when i was in uh kindergarten and first grade for halloween i was ace fraley um dressed as him and everything and then my dad this is this is one of the greatest stories of my whole life when kiss announced they were doing the tiger stadium show um i was only i was only five uh five years old and uh my dad told me like hey you know kiss is getting back together the original four with the makeup and everything and i wanted to go so bad and my parents were like no you're too young because of the baseball stadium filled with crazy kiss fanatics. Of course, now I appreciate where they were coming from, but I was so mad at them that I couldn't go, that I didn't speak to either one of my parents for a week. Cause I was, <laughs> I was so, I'm like, how could you do this to me? You know, it was like the end of the world at five. So, but then if you remember on the reunion tour, just a couple months after tiger, stadium, which I believe October, exactly. October 16th, 1996. Yeah, at, at the palace. Um, my dad took me, my uncle worked for somebody that had a suite. Um, so he took me and we were on the, I'll, I'll never forget it. I was in the lower bowl and my dad put me up on the bar and they opened with Detroit rock city. And that, that I knew what I knew what I wanted to be involved in the rest of my life. That was, that was it. I still get goosebumps thinking about it. So, so ba basically you were, you were introduced to kiss in the nineties. Yeah. When you, okay. You know, and 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 we like. I mean, we like learning that stuff because you know a lot of Kiss fans, especially the older ones, just assume everybody's a longtime diehard fan. And one of the great things we've discovered through doing this show is there's so many huge fans that didn't discover the band until '92, '95, '96, um, and it paints a. I don't know. I think it just kind of paints a different perspective on on the whole thing when you talk to somebody who wasn't there during the 70s wasn't there during the 80s yep i think um you know uh, a guy i play in a band with said it the best he's a huge kiss fan and he said you know everybody always wants to not everybody but you know a large portion of people always want to rag on kiss and say they're you know they're, they're shitty musicians or the, you know they're only in it for the money or whatever but 
the the fact of the matter is is if those songs weren't so great and if the stage show wasn't so great and if the image wasn't so great people wouldn't give a shit but people still care in droves and i know that's what drove them to me and uh i've got i've got a young kid that works here uh named dave who's he just turned 21 so he would have been born in 98 and he's as big of a kiss fan as i am i mean we all our days are spent making inside you know kiss jokes and all that stuff. So I, I, I think they are one of those bands to an extent the same way like, uh, you know, the Grateful Dead is or something where people just it doesn't matter where you come in at. You can go back and appreciate it to such a capacity that you just become a diehard fan. You know, well, let, let, let me let me ask you further what what your your views and impressions are. So your first concert was the reunion tour. Yeah. So Your first concert. I mean. You know, God bless you. Your first Kiss concert was the original four in makeup. You know, yep. there's a lot of people who can't say that. I mean, my first Kiss yep. concert was the Creatures of the Night tour, and that was only two of the original members. Right, right. Um, you know, and, and you know, I grew up through the—we all did. We all grew up through the 80s here, the rest of us on the show. So what—when when you were getting into Kiss— and you said you were watching unmasked stuff and makeup stuff. What was there one or the other that was really the big hook for you? Or was it the music? Was it the attitude? What was it that was really the the first hook? Um, I think it was a little bit of both, but I mean I'd be lying if I didn't say it was more towards just the spectacle of it and the show. I mean it, it, I, I find it hard, like hard to compare now, even at 28 years old and all the bands I love and have seen and all that, I, I find it hard to compare kiss to anything that, that to, to anything I've seen. Like, um, when I would see footage of like, let's say Houston 77, where the band is just, I mean, they're just firing on all cylinders. You're talking, you know, a live two stage show with the staircases and all the lights and, and the band just, like I said, firing on all cylinders. I would say that's what drove me more than anything. Um, because I love watching that old footage, even earlier than that, 75, like Winterland, where you just see people just like, what the fuck am I watching? You know, like, that is the coolest thing, where they're literally just steamrolling audiences. And people don't even know what hit them. It's the same way when you watch old Led Zeppelin footage. Like people, they're scared because it's so great and it's so powerful. Um, so I would say I would say it was definitely the show, but the music too. I mean, um, my two records that I played all the time would have been um, Alive and Revenge when I was like five, six years old. Those were my two things. So again, talk it's, about it's, ends of the spectrum, right? Right. Well, and, and I think that the the spectacle is what hooks most people and makes you aware of them in the first place. And they should never have to um, apologize for that. It makes me wonder, like the people that want to rip them and say they, they're this, they're that or whatever. I think it comes down to anything else. It's jealousy. It's basic jealousy because they think that they're better and can't understand why someone who they don't think is as good as them can be as popular or as successful. Yeah, I would agree. Well, keep, keep in mind, and I say this, and I've said it on the show before, 
You know, if uh, if uh, the Beatles were unattractive guys and they all weighed 320 pounds, and the same music, but if, if they were unattractive men, you think the teeny bopping girls would? I mean, everybody has an image. Yeah. Led Zeppelin had an image. Again, if uh, Plant being the golden god, as they called him back in the day, if, again, not to pick on the guy, but if he looked like the bass player from the Atlanta rhythm section. <laughs> Paul Goddard. And if he would have had the same exact voice, they wouldn't have went where they did. So everybody has an image. Kiss on down. Mick Jagger's image for crying out loud. Come on. You know, and again, that's what that's that's the icing on the cake. But before you have put it this way, before that that image is something and I'll give you a great example, because my son's just uh, a, a little bit younger than you. Um, my son was born in ninety one. But by the time he was, you know, five years old, his favorite song was Shock Me. Mm-hmm. And he he didn't care so much about the image. I always said Kiss On. And he's like, Daddy, play that song. You know, I love that. It, he liked the song. You know, he liked he liked Kiss songs. And, and you know, another one was, was I mean, it's a different band. But I, I, the two songs, and it's funny, to this day, we still jam them in the car and we smile. But, you know, Shock Me and Godzilla by Blue Oyster Cult. When my son was a kid, boy. Those two songs had to be played in the car yeah. and they had to be played loud. And, you know, so say what you want. He loved both songs equally. One band was super gimmicky. The, the other one wasn't. But what was the common denominator? The tune, baby. Right. They, great they, songs. Great yeah, songs. Yeah, that's, that's what he was reacting to. He was reacting to the songs. And, you know, he felt them and still does. Well, I, he, think, I think, like, w- with the same thing you're saying about your son, I think it's a little bit... Um, easier in a sense to be a kiss fan um in retrospect because you don't know especially at five six years old you don't know the history of like ace fraley to vinnie vincent to mark st john to bruce kulik back to ace you know what i'm saying you don't know that you're just hearing the songs objectively and whether it's like like you're saying shock me or i used to love um parasite and i would love like um I just wanna from revenge. Like to me, the I'm just hearing the same band. I'm not hearing it as like this is a whole different band. I'm just it, it's Kiss, you know. You know the, the 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 one other thing that I kept thinking as you guys were talking about this is, you know, you're right. It's it's not just well, it's not just a spectacle, because any band can do a spectacle. Any band can put makeup on. Any band can grow their hair out. Any band could wear platforms. Any band can have a ton of pyro, a ton of lights. You can have all of that. It's just a matter of money to do it all. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't make you kiss. Mm -hmm. And, And to Tommy, to your point, I think that's to some extent that jealousy of people are like, well, I've got just as much pyro. I've got more lights. I've got more sound i'm a louder band you know i play to more people whatever but it's like yeah but there's and this isn't just for kiss but every band you know led zeppelin an example there's that intangible that they have that you can't just purchase off the shelf to make you the same as them Mm -hmm. so you you know it it you know, the old example I always laugh at is people are like, man, if I could only get my band into Abbey Road Studios and record my debut album on the same board that the Beatles use. I'm like, what do you think you're going to sound like the Beatles just because you're in the same studio and the same board? 
Yeah. You know, we, that, 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 that's a piece of hardware. That's a piece of technology. It's not the songs. It's not the feel. It's not the play. It's not the, it's not the attitude the four guys have. That's the intangible that people don't understand. Yeah, to to your point, um, like you're saying about oh, if I could just get into Abbey Road or whatever, like we have we have customers that come in and they look at let's say the Eric Clapton Stratocaster or the Jeff Beck Stratocaster or whatever it the is. Ran, the Rand the Randy Rhodes guitar. I'll play just like Randy if I buy his guitar. Sure right. And, and 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 it's like to me, if you're missing that it's in their fingers, it's in their hands. It's nobody can be Jeff Beck, but Jeff Beck. Nobody could be Paul Stanley, but Paul Stanley, you know, I mean, that's, you can't, you can put it on, you can try and do that, but you, it'll never be as authentic as what they they're doing. And like, you could say what you want about kiss now and the marketing and the, they put their name on everything. But back in the day, you know, it, especially with the history and stuff, no one cared more than they did about putting on a great show and being great musicians and writing great songs, you know, and that's where the heart came from. And I think that that's transcended over the last 45 years, 46 years, however long it's been. Yeah. Yeah. Open but like a man twice your age. That was seriously <laughs> everything you just said. Well, I, I tell you what, and, and I'm sure uh, uh, Nick, cause I know, you know, you listen to the show frequently. I always try to point out things to young fans who I think, Sometimes, I'm certainly not speaking to you personally, but sometimes I think younger fans, when I meet them, especially at expos and stuff, they don't know a world without YouTube. They don't know a world without, you know, when we, and I'm speaking for the three of Michael and Tommy and I, I don't think fans will understand who are younger, what it was like getting Circus or Cream and opening up the picture and seeing Gene drool blood because you didn't get to see the video. Yeah, you're like, uh, <laughs> you were like in freaking, and that when you got the one picture, and I still remember, and I've, I've, I'm sure you guys have seen other people talk about this, but I remember the day I got Kiss Alive too. I think I stared at Gene's picture for two hours. I was just gonna say that. Yeah, that used to scare How the shit out of me. How did wet? This blood is coming out of through his makeup. Just it. That's a photo. And I think that's missing that sort of mystique is missing because now, oh, I want to see Gene. There's a compilation video of him spitting blood from every every year. So, I mean, so that's, it, was, it was different back then. I'm not saying it was better, but it was different. And, um, and it's great hearing somebody your age understand that by everything you just said, you know in the history and everything it 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 shows that the younger fans get it too but uh again when when you lived in the world i you know i've said this too many times on the show i'm lucky because i became a kiss fan pretty much from the start every their entire history is in real time for me i mean other right. than like the april of 74 and stuff i my older brother brought home hotter than hell in the fall of 74 i remember going hey because i was really into universal monsters and godzilla and stuff and i'm like that sounds the way it looks and yeah. i mean i didn't verbally say that at the time but that was my it's, it's funny because you said parasite I, I just remember 
at nine years old just going that didn't sound like the Beatles that didn't sound like you know even Alice Cooper because I was already aware of I liked songs like School's Out and mm-hmm. and I like Bachman Turner Overdrive but it didn't sound like that man it didn't sound like da 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 I'm like yeah I remember putting the needle on it going wow is that freaking cool you know it you didn't understand heaviness like like you do now but, yeah but that that was the shit boy <laughs> you know what I, mean? I i feel like i got a little bit of that just you know vicariously through my dad because he had all the magazines and he had the original records and stuff so when i was younger you know i had like a little fisher price turntable which my dad was out of his mind let me play his original kiss lps on it but um it, it made me who i who who i am today you know when i opened up and everybody says this when i opened up a live two and saw that picture in the gatefold i mean to me there is no better like example of rock and roll than that maybe maybe lemmy like his life just (laughs) how what a fucking crazy dude he was but other than that like kiss alive Two, the gatefold is the epitome that that, that's so cool to hear because what you said is, are the words that like the three of us had when Kiss Alive 2 was released. And we right. first got it and we opened it up back then. And for somebody your age who, again, discovered him in the, you know, the early to mid-90s, to get that exact same reaction on an album that is, what, 20-plus years old at that time? Yeah. Is, is pretty cool. But here, here's here's a, I have a, a, a really kind of a cool story. So that album came out, I think, in November of '77. Correct? Um, Sounds right. Uh, Kiss Alive Two. I remember that a kid on my hockey team brought it in to show, like, the whole. I already had it because I got it the day it came out. Um, and I remember he put it in his hockey bag and, like, in the locker room before the game. We're like, this This is the fucking, you know, could that picture, again, it goes back to what I said about no YouTube or no, that picture told the entire story of what was burned into those groups. It really did. Yeah. And, and again, you know, people who are younger are not going to understand the importance of a single image when you get to watch the whole show. And as we know, it's funny, too, because when you, as you get older, when you get older, you realize that picture wasn't exactly what happened. Of course <laughs> not. In true, in true kiss fashion. Yes. Yes. But boy, oh boy, they knew what the hell they were doing. They knew what they hooked us boy with, 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 with that picture. So yeah, it's, 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 it's absolutely great hearing that you had the same reaction all those, all those years later. So, so what was your, after going to um, the reunion show, what was your history as in maybe going back and, dis- and and rediscovering Kiss? Did you go back to the very beginning and did you follow them as timeline? Did you jump back to the 80s and then go back to the 70s? How did that work? Um, I think um, I think I, I I was all over the place. I definitely um, was most invested in the, in the 70s stuff. Um, and by 70s stuff, I mean self-titled all the way to 1980 with Unmasked, which is my my Dark Horse Kiss record. I think Unmasked is 
a total unsung hero of the uh, catalog, personally. All right, Elizabeth. <laughs> well, <laughs> let, let, Nick, let me let me let me let me ask you about that because again, hey, it's you Alex's know, too. Ta- ta- you know, Mark Mark loves to say timeline is everything, yeah. and it really is. It's very important. So for people who were Kiss fans back then, unmasked, if you'd been a Kiss fan prior to that, and I'm not talking about fans who just discovered Kiss in 1980 and that was your first album, because regardless of whether it's Kiss or any band, the first album of a band you fall in love with is going to be phenomenal forever. Yep, it does, doesn't mean in the scope of it, it really is, but for you it is. Um, but for us who grew up through the 70s, when we hit 1980, Unmasked was like just confusion. It's a fucking nightmare, right? Well, I I wouldn't (laughs) say a nightmare. It was just confusion. As a KISS fan, you were confused. It was just like, I don't know what this sound is about. I still love the band. It's my KISS. I still love them, and I'm going to be there for them. But I'm a little lost here. Yeah. So, so for you uh, I, to sit here and say Unmasked is like your Dark Horse favorite album, you know, I, I kind of want to get a little more insight as to, uh, you know, how did, how did Unmasked stack up against, you know, Kiss Alive 2 for right. you? I mean, I think, um, again, I think it's some of that retrospect is that I'm not able to put myself where you guys were of when it came out. So I'm just looking at the albums objectively. I'm a sucker for a great hooky pop rock song and unmasked is filled with them tomorrow. Easy as it seems naked city. All those songs have great hooks. I mean, great in a different way from let's say shout it out loud, which of course I love. Um, But I kind of came around to unmasked. Maybe a little bit later, like maybe in my teenage years, because I think because I just beat myself over that head with Love Gun and Destroyer and Alive 1 and 2 so much that I'm I'm looking for something else. And it's still Kiss, but you're looking for somebody, but it's not Kiss. Um, <laughs> um, but I'm just I'm just. As I've gotten older, the more I've gotten into maybe part of the catalog that I wasn't you know, jumping headfirst into when I was younger. So that's where on mass came along, but I did used to love hearing it when I was a little kid. Cause I thought Shandy was really cool. I liked that song. Um, and then I always loved an ACE vocal cause ACE was my favorite growing up. So, um, ACE has three on there, right? Torpedo yep. girl, uh, and then what's the other one that I can Talk never think of. Talk to me. Thank you. Yeah. So, I think that's what pushed me to it. But then on the other side, like I said, I was always um, into the 90s stuff like Revenge and Carnival of Souls because I think because I was there living it a little bit more. Like I remember when Carnival of Souls came out and uh, that was a big deal for me. Like I'm like, oh, a new Kiss record. But even though it didn't make any sense because they're out playing in the makeup and then here's the record with the guys that aren't in the makeup it didn't line up even back then but that record's got a soft spot in my heart too just because i was there in the same way that i think mark you're saying about getting hotter than hell so i've always had a love for that record too using a different analogy i'll give you a great what you're talking about when heaven and hell came on i have i have a couple of my guys that are like my older brother's age they never could warm up to dio because they said it sounded like rainbow well, I was 15. What's wrong with that? 
Yeah, well, I know, but <laughs> I was 15 in 1980, and when Heaven and Hell came out, that was new Black Sabbath. And and and, and while I had the Ozzy records, but it was new. That was my Sabbath. You know what I mean? It was like that was the first time I saw Black Sabbath was with Ronnie James Dio, and you know what I mean. That so I had that same thing. Whereas some of the old purists might go, "Oh, you know, everything after Never Say Die." I'm like, "Uh, uh-uh, man." And and uh, let me just tell you, just as a hard rock heavy metal fan, 1980 was really just such a watershed year, you know, from Motorhead to Iron Maiden and well, Ozzy. Let, I mean, let let's let's be honest. The entire 80s were pretty much awesome if you were a hard rock heavy metal fan i'd say what, the what, first few what, years what, what, you know years. and 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 it's not getting into whether you like hair metal or anything but there was just such an abundance of music now coming out from well, the floodgates the, the floodgates flood opened from the uk especially there was small labels in the uk that all of a sudden were now being imported to the u.s then the U.S. started to pick up on this whole hard rock scene. You know, it, to to be a fan of hard rock and heavy metal, there were so many bands and so many albums coming out. A lot of them that never exploded and never went anywhere, but did one album and you're like, it's still a classic album. Right. Well, right. I, I remember back at that time vividly because my friends and I, I remember th- you know, thinking at the time, keep in mind, again, go back to 1980, when you, um, you know, Van Halen wasn't as heavy now that you heard Iron Maiden or Ace right. of Spades. Or, you're like, holy crap, what, what is this? You know what I mean? It, it really was such a new sound. I mean, the new wave of British heavy metal, there's a reason they called it that. It was just a fascinating time to be a Kiss fan. And let's face it, you know, that that wave influenced Kiss to get the hell out of the unmasked business. They, that, the, Creatures was a direct result of them being. Matter of fact, um, somebody in one of my Kiss groups just posted an old Kerrang issue. If you remember the one with Gene on the cover, just his face, his eyes rolled yep. back. It's a 1975 shot. Um in that article, Gene pretty much talks about that. You know, we're going to go ahead. You know, we've, we got the elder out of our system. You know, or, as a matter of fact, there's a part in that article where Gene says, he's kind of throwing a coin under the bus. It was right right around Creatures. And he's like, you know what? We want to, as a matter of fact, the direct quote is, we want to be hungry again. Yeah. He got, I think he finally got it. You know, at that point, like we better go back. Matter of fact, I think that one of the and I'm paraphrasing his one quote is we got to go back to being what got us here in the first place. And Creatures was again was because of the new wave of British heavy metal It was because of the bands they influenced and and the fans. They, They realized it. That's another thing that I think a lot of people forget or discount is that a lot of these bands like, you know, uh, Saxon or Iron Maiden or something have a Kiss influence to them. So it's weird in a way that those bands come around and they get popular and they make great records. And in in another way, it starts sort of overtaking Kiss and what they're doing, even though you couldn't have those bands without them, you know? You know, Mark, Mark, it's it's interesting thinking about that Gene Simmons comment from the article when we can look back now 
over hit over time and go yeah you know that's what he said back then he you know wanted kiss to come back and be hungry and creatures came out and lick it up two albums that kiss fans were like yes they're back but then what did gene do he, he lost that hunger and completely basically abandoned the band until 1992 for revenge. Yeah, what, what happened? He got fat and fed again. He had gold record right. with Lick It Up, a platinum record with Animal Eyes, and then it was like, see ya. <laughs> yeah, it worked. It worked. Yeah, right. yeah so. it's, it's, it, it's, uh, it's very interesting when you have the luxury of looking back over history and reviewing what happened versus the reality of it. Um, Nick, you know, so you, you talked a little bit about Unmasked. I'd love to get your, your take on when you first played The Elder and when you first did the Dynasty album. You know, Do we have to talk about The well, Elder? You know, <laughs> well, yes, yeah, only, only, only because that is such, oh, I'm just that's fun. such a pivotal era for Kiss that was, you know, lost in transition and everything else. You know, we, Before we, you answer, Nick, again, you will have no clue what that was like timeline-wise. And, well, and again, I was just going to say that for the three of us who were there, you know, as as much as a shock as Unmasked was, Elder was as big a shock. It's Dy- still a shock. Dy- Dynasty wasn't, at least for me, I mean, there's plenty of people who go, oh, my God, Dynasty was when I jumped the ship because they went no, disco. No, but Save it Your Love, Charisma, it, you still had. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it was It was a little, Dynasty for the three of us was maybe a bit of a deviation, but it still had some kiss going to it. But yes. then by the time Unmasked and Elder hit, yes. we were just like, I don't know, guys, I love you and I'm here forever for you, but what the hell is going on? You know, so so I'd love to get your perspective from somebody who can go back historically and go, now I'm going to check out the elder because of everything people have said. And, you know, what was your, your take on those? Well, when I was younger, I can tell you the first time I heard the elder was probably when the kiss, the remasters series came out, whenever that was 97. I think. Yeah, um, and uh, I remember thinking, God, this is the most fucking boring thing I've ever heard in my life. Like I was, it was miserable. Oh, um, you're, you're a, you're a buddy of Mark's. <laughs> it was, but, but since, I mean, and now I listen to it and there's, there's some cool moments. Like I think the oath of course is awesome. Um, especially from Mark, I know you're a drummer as am I. So like the oath is super cool, super cool drum beat, super cool riff. Um, but still, you know, to me, um, I know what they were going for, obviously using Bob Ezrin coming off the wall and all that stuff. Like I know what they're going for. And when you compare it to that, like monstrosity, like it totally falls flat. I think there's some cool moments. Um, it's still far from my favorite kiss record, but I, I understand it a little bit more now than I used to. But when I was younger, I thought I was just like, this is, this is horrible. Um, and then dynasty you were bringing up, um, Again, in my later, you know, getting older, I like it more now than I used to. When I was younger, I liked uh, I Was Made for Loving You and Sure Know Something. Um, but to my point about, like, on Mass with having good pop rock songs, I think Magic Touch is one of the best Paul Stanley songs in the Kiss arsenal. So Dynasty goes up a couple pegs because of Magic Touch. Um, Mark pointed out Save Your Love. That's a good song. Charisma. The Peter, what's the Peter song on there? I Dirty love Living. Dirty Living. Yeah. I love that. Just the feel on that song is yeah. just 
I tell you, and, and the unsung hero on that song is Ace. Those solos that pretty much go throughout the song, his tone and his vibrato and the way he's bending those, he's he's strangling those notes. Yes, yeah. And it is it is perfection. I that's that's actually in my top ten favorite Kiss songs of all time. I love Dirty Living. Yeah, I, yeah. I think as a drummer too, that that song just fuck it. It just has so much feel and groove and 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 look, you know. Peter nailed that song. The vocal on that, none of the other three could have sang that song. Yeah, I, I still to this day, um, I think the best vocal ever in Kiss history is Peter on Black Diamond on Alive. That is you know, every, you know, I love. Of course, I love Paul and Gene and Ace, but like Peter does have that voice that is just like it sounds like street rough, ready. Don't fuck with me, and that's like. I think a lot of the attitude, especially of early Kiss, comes from Peter. I, so, I tell you that, that the part in the library, that nothing, you know, when he screamed down right before the down, 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 it was like, yeah, I get every, that gives me goosebumps every time because yeah, the, you're absolutely right. It's so raw and so street when he's he means it, man. It's like get the fuck out of my way. I mean, I, yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. And all and all you need to do to confirm. Uh, what a pain in the ass or a tough guy he was is that bootleg of uh i think is it houston 77 or largo if you okay, see the, the background yeah he's like get that fucking light out of my eyes <laughs> i would not want to screw with him especially if you throw in some cocaine and some alcohol well i tell you know that's that's the thing as a drummer that that's i i don't know if, if you feel the same that's what breaks my heart about and you've heard me on the show Look, no one wants to support Peter more than me, but you'd have to be deaf, dumb, and blind to not see the difference from his playing from Alive 2 on. Mm. He Look, the drugs and the alcohol caught up to him, and it's so sad because go back and watch that footage from Kobo from 70, uh, January 76. That's a fucking monster player on the fucking... Oh, yeah. He's just fucking beating the shit out of those drums, and he's screaming his heart out. He, he, you're right. He, he was everything that made Kiss great, and it's so sad to see it fall apart on the Dynasty tour. Both, yeah. both, both. If you watch the video, matter of fact, someone pointed out too, and I, and I think it's the the Largo '79 video when he's playing Beth. You just see he's a mess, man. It's yeah. just like. What happened to the guy who cared so fucking much? You know what I mean? Who playing his ass off every night. That, that's the guy that I made me want to play drums back then. You yeah, know? me too. I mean, I've got, I don't know if you could see yeah, this, but nice. I've got Peter tattooed on my, on my arm along with John Bonham and Ian Pace. But, um, the, he, he absolutely, especially as a little kid watching that footage. I mean, there was no one cooler than Peter Chris behind the drum kit. So I, I, I totally get what you're saying. And I love Eric Carr and Eric Singer. Um, but to me, there's just, there is something from a player's perspective about the finesse of Peter and how he played a song and the feel that he had is different than a rock feel. So, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of like something like nothing to lose, or I even saw a recent video of Peter playing strutter and like the way he plays it is not how a regular, like rock guy plays it. There's like quarter notes on the kick drum and it's just, it's way more driving. I think than people give him credit for. And I think Pete, uh, Paul and Gene have sort of tainted his legacy a little bit and kind of made him seem shittier than he is. I mean, of course, like you're pointing out 
um, towards the end of his tenure in Kiss, it, it did start to become not good. But I think in the early days, he was more than on point, and he had great oh, feel. Sure. And, oh, you oh, know. Oh, most definitely. I mean, I w- without question, we all agree, if Peter was playing playing great and and personal issues were aside we'd love to have him in the band because he he always was you know kiss was this heavy metal hard rock band yet peter was sort of uh not quite a hard rock heavy metal drummer yeah you know and his vote and his yeah. vocals were not uh, a lead singer screaming vocals you know as you said it was a gravelly it was the rough it was dirty um and that added, that was part of that intangible that Kiss had that well, you could that made it a, work. You could tell that Peter loved Motown. He yes. had that sort of vibe to his vocals. And again, go back to the first record. Go back to Nothing to Lose. That's a Motown sort of, you know, yeah, the, the, scat, the yeah, the scatting and the ad libbing. Yes, yeah. exactly. That's boy, that that is a hundred percent Motown infused. That isn't that wasn't the Beatles and that wasn't you know the Stone. That was fucking Motown. Yeah, you know, that's that's where he that's where he got that feel. And again, go back to Dirty Living. You know that, what he did there, he did well. You know, yeah. Same thing with uh, with Baby Driver. God, Driver. Yeah, that, that's that's a soul. Uh, sort of uh, scream there, uh, you know, at the end that that wasn't Roger Daltrey. That was, you know, uh, oh, yeah. uh, Marvin Gaye. Then, you know, that's that's where he was channeling there. I think um, but that that's what I'm saying. It bums me out that that um, Paul and Gene, whether it's justified or not, have kind of shit on him as like a musician, like Paul, especially in the in the uh, whatever it was called behind the mask or what it, whatever his book was. Um, I mean, he makes it seem like from the beginning, like Peter sucked and I can't, I can't stand that, you know? Um, cause I think that's just like being a dick to be a dick, you know? <laughs> you know, I, I can tell you firsthand when, especially on the farewell tour, the, the, there was no respect, there was no love, there was nothing. I mean, and, and, you know, Marcus said this as well. Peter's playing just got sloppier and sloppier and worse and worse. Show after show after show after I show on that sloppy. tour. I just say that it's got worse. He just, yeah, it's, just like, it's like he stopped. It's like he stopped caring. He stopped wanting to be good. Um, you know, at, for me personally, I can totally see it now. He lost it. He, whether he he physically lost it or gave it up on his own, I don't know. But it doesn't matter. It's not there. Um, and and I don't think he can get it back. I don't think he's in any shape to get it back now. If it had remained yeah. there, and, and was it the drugs that caused it to go away? Was it, I don't know, attitude, lack of practice? I don't know. I mean, again, think about this. You know, when after leaving Kiss, he pretty much was done as a musician through the entire 80s. Yeah, he had a few spot bands. I mean, we just had Kevin Russell on last week talking about auditioning with Peter Chris. But other than a few spot shows that Peter did, he never put a band together, never toured. He, it, it's almost like he stopped being a musician. But doesn't that also, that, that speaks, I think, volumes to how dedicated and how hard Paul and Gene worked. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, to me, that's what's grossly apparent in that statement is they wanted it so bad they were willing to do anything. I remember, I don't remember who we were talking to. It might have been Brian Bart. He wasn't on our show. He was a guitar player in uh, Dare Force here locally. And they opened up for one of the shows in the Creatures Tour. And it was snowing and everything was a mess. And these roadies came out and were helping them haul their gear into the hall. Uh, to help them set up and stuff. Turned out later they found out it was Gene and Paul were out there in the parking lot helping the opening band haul their gear into the freaking concert hall. And that's 1982. That's freaking dedication. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you could say, you know, you could say what you want about Paul and Paul and Gene and, you know, what whatever your opinions are of them, but that's exactly it. I mean, at, at the end of the day, especially Paul, I know you were just bringing up how Gene sort of, abandoned in the middle of the 80s but like those guys never really overall lost sight of kiss or what it was doing or what they wanted to do with it especially especially paul Paul. i mean which is why i think everything now goes defaults to him look make no mistake and again uh you 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 can you can see that from uh, matter of fact when jan was on and in her article in classic rock she makes no bones about it, and, and it's the worst kept secret in the world. Paul Stanley runs Kiss. Yeah, it, it, nothing gets done unless Paul Stanley puts his stamp of approval on. Because if Paul doesn't put a stamp stamp of approval on it, it doesn't happen. They don't tour. They don't record. They don't. Paul Stanley runs that band. Yeah, you know, and and and, 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 and he's on the right. Yeah, he's I mean, he's he's right. the guy who who kept the band going through the eighties when. I, I don't know this for a fact, but it's pure speculation. But I would believe that when when things went south between Gene and Paul in the 80s and it sort of, sort of became the Paul Stanley show, there were probably opportunities for for, for Paul to go out and just become a solo artist and, oh, leave, and, le- sure. and, leave, and leave Kiss. And leave, oh, yeah. you know, and, which... And they could have marketed him like they couldn't have marketed Gene. Right. They could have marketed him because he's a good-looking guy. But, but and... he stayed there... He stayed with Kiss. Yeah, those albums during the 80s are basically Paul Stanley solo albums because it was all him and nobody else. But he kept it alive. He kept that ship moving forward all by himself because it meant something to him. Yeah, absolutely. And and uh, to, to Paul's credit, um, I, I'm sure you guys saw the Dan Rather interview um, where P- Paul was, he brought up Dan rather brought up that he had spoke to Gene and that Gene had said like, whatever, that Gene was more modest than Paul or yep. whatever. And Paul's like, Oh really? You know, like just, uh, you could tell that irked him, but I loved when he talked about, um, how, when the earthquake happened in California, that Gene was the first person he called, even though, you know, they, <laughs> they get on each other's along. nerves. Yeah. Right. They weren't getting along and they get on each other's nerves, but, like you said, I think it would have been easy for Paul Stanley to be a solo artist, but I don't know if the longevity would have been there if he didn't keep driving that Kiss ship. Because eventually it came back around to where they, you know, on the reunion tours specifically, they became the biggest band in the world again and and haven't really given up that throne um, in that sort of legacy act since. Um, so I think they sort of needed each other in that way. You know, obviously they always talk about a partnership and stuff like that, but, um, it, I think Gene thanks God that, that Paul 
kept that ship going in the 80s when he was making movies and stuff with Tom Selleck or whatever. Oh, I, I'm, I'm sure I'm sure Gene loves it because, you know, it, it you know, he was still collecting money off of Kiss even though his heart and soul wasn't into it and and you're right. I mean, they need each other. They're they're you know, when a when there's a great couple that gets married, you know, you don't have everything in common. You have differences and those differences make it work. Gene and Paul have that. I mean, you know, as they as as they each say about the other person, it's like my brother. I don't necessarily like my brother all the time. I don't get along with my brother all the time, but I'll love my brother forever. Yeah. And I think I think they're well aware that if they they hadn't met each other, they didn't have each other, that they'd be living vastly different lives, you know. So For sure. Yeah. Let's let's face it. To, to be fair to to Gene and Paul and some of the things that you mentioned earlier. Look, both Gene and Paul give it up for Peter and Ace every time. They, I've never heard them say, we could have done without them. The complete opposite. They were every bit as important as Gene and Paul until a certain point when they became... Not you know, ba- basically what, what I see happening is more of Gene and Paul finally not continuing to paint this mystique that everybody was great and best friends through the entire 70s which we thought as kids back then these were this was the monkeys living together in makeup i mean that's what we thought it was now they're just being honest and saying no you know what i hated the guy's guts you know he was a pain to work with or this guy was on drugs whatever it was and that's not just gene and paul talking about ace and peter that's that's Paul talking about Gene, Gene talk, you know, it's all four right. of them finally just saying, you know what? Yeah, when we were on stage, it was great. When we made that song, it was great. But Jesus Christ, the guy tried to quit the band six times, you know. <laughs> right. uh, you know, over over his drum solo in Strange Way. Yeah, ex- exactly. <laughs> the stuff that we never saw or heard about back, back then. Back then. And you know, I can. I can understand as a fan who grew up through that era that sort of has the potential to tarnish and ruin what you grew up loving and meant yeah. so much to you. Um, but I never read anywhere, Mike, up until the maybe early 80s of any of those issues. It was never mentioned right. in the Cream Super Special. It was never mentioned when the original four were together. They never mentioned stuff like, like you said, the, the drum solo that was proposed that Peter wanted to do on. They never brought up any dirt or bad stuff. And I also think a coin helped that too. A coin wanted Absolutely. a certain yeah, image. Yes, I, I think I think back then the attitude was definitely um, when we are on stage, when we are the band in the public eye everything has to be happy go lucky we get along we're best buddies we can walk off the stage and go into the dressing room and punch each other and that's fine do it backstage don't do it in front of the fans don't do it in front of the media and the press um they were great about that during the 70s and and you know as the nine 90s especially rolled in with internet and everything else you can't hide anything anymore because you no longer have the ability to manage the story because a fan saw it and snapped a photo of it or a video of it and posted it themselves it's right there for everybody to see the the truth so now they are just being honest 
And, you know, maybe if I was still a 13-year-old kid, I'd be like, well, yeah, kiss are superhero demons. It's like, <laughs> but I'm, I'm sorry, you know, it's 2019. I understand the reality. I understand yeah. that what what I fell in love with in the 70s was a mystique that was created. It was manufactured. I don't feel bad because of that, because it was awesome to live through that. It was incredible to have those memories of everything we've talked about over the years on this show. Some Some fans just can't separate that. They're still... Yeah. I, I I just had a fan on YouTube who's like, Ace Fraley's the one and only spaceman in the band, and that's the facts. And I'm like, stop living in 1976. It's not true. Yeah, you know, move on. Move on <laughs> with your life. You know, you don't have to like it. You can say that he's my favorite, and you know that, but don't say everybody has to agree with you. Yeah, it's just. I, the the yeah. blanket statements. Yeah, right. you know that that that's why where I can see these super diehard original fans having the issues, but it's just like guys, you just gotta really kind of move on with your life. I mean, we're not twelve years old anymore. Yeah, it's great to feel that excitement of a twelve year old, but we're not twelve. We can see yeah. the truth. We know the truth. The truth is being spoken. You've got to deal with it. I, I agree the, you know, I will say though, that I have that my, I think my heart skipped a beat though. When I saw the four of them get inducted into the hall of fame, just to see the four of them, because I, I mean, I, I feel like, you know, I'm, I don't pull any punches as a kiss fan. Like that was definitely, I think the last time we'll see the four of them on stage together. So that did mean something special, but I absolutely see the point that you're making because, um, you look. I mean, look at the crowds that they're playing for on this on this end of the road tour. I mean, you, it's obvious that they don't need Ace and Peter to be successful. It doesn't change the formula of Kiss. Would people love to see him there? I know I would. But you brought up, you know, Peter. It's obvious he can't do it anymore, and for whatever reason, with Ace, you know, whatever it is. But they don't need those guys. Well, and and, still, and, you know, and the and the reality is. I don't think it's even the playing that's the issue. I mean, it was when 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 Russell was on, he he reminded us of the quote that was in Paul's new book, where Paul was like, "I didn't fire Peter Chris. I fired Peter Chris's wife." Mm -hmm. You know, you, you got to stop and think about what that really means. And and we know Ace has had his problems with women year after year after year after year. And, and my personal opinion is, I just think those two guys aren't there first and foremost because Gene and Paul don't want the luggage that comes along with it. Right. If the luggage wasn't there, it's a whole different story. I mean, we know Paul went and did work with Ace Frehley for his Origins album. There's mm -hmm. still something there between Ace and Paul. They haven't done anything with Peter, but to Peter's point he's probably just pretty much retired and enjoying his life and god bless him for doing that right but it's it's not i don't think it's so much the playing ability they can they can kind of look past that but why do you want to go tour three years 
with somebody who's going to have Yoko Yoko Ono out there mm-hmm. every night. Who's going to be complaining about uh, they don't want any of this uh, hard days night shit, if you remember that uh, yeah. quote from Peter. You know, that's... Uh, hey, one thing, Nick, because we got we got to wrap up here. Yeah, sorry. But I wanted... One thing that, that I always want to ask younger fans, and I have a chance to now. When we were in high school, meaning um, Michael, Tommy, and I, right around, you know, I was in 10th grade in, in 81... Wearing Kiss belt buckles and Kiss T-shirts was not, and I didn't care. I did it anyway because I've always stuck by the, I guess, the old Kiss adage. I like what I like, and I really don't care what other people like. It served me well in life. Now, right. did you get any kind of blowback if you were wearing a Kiss shirt uh, when you were in high school? I mean, because at the time, grunge was a, was a big deal. And what was it like for you? How did you show your Kiss fandom um, when you were in high school? So... In high school, let's see, that would have been like 2004 to 2008. So um, I wore I Kiss shirts all the time. What, I, I mean, I had some people that didn't understand it, maybe bust my balls about it or whatever, especially actually um, teachers because they're the ones that, you know, they, they maybe live through it. So. Right. But, but um, what I got, mostly being a younger fan and what people recognized as kiss um was gene everyone knew kiss met gene simmons you know uh, or you know people that don't know his name is the guy with the tongue so uh i got a lot more of that of like people that had no idea really what it was or that it was a band but more just guys that wore makeup and had the guy with the long tongue that spit blood um but if i if i was getting uh you know, my balls busted or whatever. It was more coming from older people um, who were like either thought that they were terrible because they liked Led Zeppelin or whatever, which I don't know why you can't like both or because they just couldn't believe that somebody my age was that into it. You know, Uh, I I didn't have my dad's told me before where he would go into a guitar store and they'd be wearing a kiss shirt turned inside out. (laughs) So it said sick. Um, you know, it's shit like that. I, I didn't, I didn't experience it that bad. Um, but there was definitely some times where people are like, what do you, you know, listen to Eminem. Why are you listening to, to this? You know, I eat, M- I eat Eminems. I don't listen to them. <laughs> right, right. Well, Nick, uh, um, uh, but when this airs next Tuesday, which was, I think the sixth will be the sixth next Tuesday. I'm guessing. That's, that sounds right. Fifth let's, or let's, uh, let's, just, let's see just, here. The, uh, Yes, Tuesday is the 6th. Well, that following Friday. So when you're hearing this, you're going to have just a few days to get your butt to Five Mile Road uh, in Livonia to see Mr. Bruce Kulik at Rock City. Um, I'm going to be out there. Um, Starts at 6 o'clock, you said? 6 p.m., yep. And, you know, we talked about it earlier in the show, but uh, as somebody who's who's been uh, been to the store, been to a, do an event like this, you're not going to want to miss this. And Bruce is going to be playing, you know, like you said, Heart of Chrome and, uh, you know, Detroit Rock City. And he's going to he's going to entertain you guys and sign stuff and get your picture. He's a nice guy. He's so a really great you know, guy. Actually, I've got a story you know, real quick about how great of a guy Bruce is. The first time I met Bruce and I've since told him this story. Uh, my parents took me to the Kiss Expo in Troy, Michigan. I was, I think I was four or five. Um, I would have been five because it was when the reunion started. And Bruce was the guest. 
And when we were waiting to go in, he was in there sound checking. It was at like 10 in the morning or whatever. So they go to let everybody in and everybody's coming in. And as we're coming in, Bruce is, is walking out. And I recognized him immediately from watching Unplugged and stuff. So I'll never forget. I was a real small kid and I pulled on his shirt <laughs> and, I, and I said, and I said, Bruce, you know, and he got down on one knee and talked to me, looked me right in the eye. And he was like, oh, I love your Kiss shirt. I had a Creatures of the Night jersey, you know, the three-quarter sleeve jersey yeah. shirt. And he stood there and talked to me or, or knelt there and talked to me for a good five minutes. And all these people around him are going, Bruce, Bruce. And they're trying to talk to him, trying to get a picture. And he looked at them and he goes, hey, I, I, you know, I'm talking to, the, I'm talking to the, this little guy here right now. And he, was, he couldn't have been cooler. And he came out during his performance later in the day and he spotted me in the crowd and dedicated a song to me and everything. And now I'm like, now I can talk to him and stuff, which is a total crazy full circle thing that's happened. And I he's, such, he's such a great guy. That's awesome. What a great story. Nick, thank you. Thank you what for joining us. I mean, good, good, good luck with your event. Please say hi to Bruce for us. Mark yep. will be there. You can do it as well. Um, but it was also just great picking your brain as as a younger Kiss fan, you know. Yeah. It, it always makes me appreciate the band even more when when I hear from younger fans who experience the same thing we experienced twenty years earlier, thirty years earlier. Yeah, it's uh, it's multi generational, man. I, it sure I still is. think that, I still think they're one of the greatest bands of all time. Yeah, oh, for, for sure, sure. For, for sure. Nick, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Would love to do it again. It's been an honor, guys. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thanks, okay. Best of luck next week with your um, get-together. Um, that was such a fun discussion. I, I, I don't know. There's something always exciting about chatting with younger KISS fans. Getting, yeah. you know, getting their views on the band sort of always helps remind me of what's great about KISS. Right. I agree. You know, it's it, and it's fun to to hear what he has to say because again, he's like anyone else. You find him in a different period in your life, and you gravitate towards certain aspects of the career, and that's just as important and valid as anybody else. I always wonder if I had discovered Kiss later, would my view of Unmasked be different? Would my view of any of the albums be different if? If we didn't have our timeline, I guess the answer is yes, definitely. But you know, would 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 Mark all of a sudden love Unmasked if that was his first Kiss record? You know, you know, Mike, I'm going to give you this. Was kind of cool. I, I had a younger fan um, get a hold of me, and we were just talking about just hard rock music in general. And he's a big Kiss fan, and he loves Kiss Alive. And he's like, you know, I just anyways, you're talking about how, how much you like Kiss Alive, and He's like, you know, I know you like a lot of the, you know, a lot of the other 70s bands. And, and, and I remember I gave him three records. I said, tell you what, check out, um, you know, Humble Pie's Rockin' the Fillmore. I said, check out Ted's Double Live Gonzo and, and, and check out Deep Purple Made in Japan. And I got an interesting response back. He's like, the musicianship on all those records was fantastic, but... It didn't. None of it meant anything to me, because he's so invested into the Kiss mystique. I just found that weird. 
You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Saying how one of these things those records are all a lot better played or something like that. You said something along the lines of But not really though. I don't think it's weird. It's just every kind of different music hits people differently. That's why you have fans that are so hardcore to Led Zeppelin that don't like something else or that they, they love Bob Dylan and they don't, you know, that's just how the music hits you. It, 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 does, it doesn't matter if the song is good or not to you because it just may not be to the next person because it just doesn't speak to them. doesn't well, mean that the song or the band isn't good, but that doesn't surprise me at all. I mean, there I, was a period. Just, just as a hard rock fan, and, and, and it's funny because I've done this, I was, I was kind of perplexed by that. I, I, I went on my iPod and I played uh, Highway Star off of Made in Japan. Then I played Wang Dang off of Double Live Gonzo. And, and then I played Deuce off of, of Kiss. And and all three of those are up-tempo, hard-rocking numbers. And they all hit me in the same way. So it's kind of weird when I when I, I get somebody who would listen to the same three songs. But also, too, all three of those songs have been with me since, you know, I was a kid. I, I've always loved... It's part of your soundtrack the, of your yeah, life. it's part of the soundtrack of my life. And I, I just thought that comment was, was you know, wow, it's a you know a lot... Musicianship's a lot more advanced, but, uh, you know, I just, just didn't... I can totally relate to that. I, yeah, I, I totally thought it was interesting, just an interesting sort of observation. And again... That's the beauty behind music. It's you know, it's all objective. But yeah, it's that's, also, that's what I've always al- go ahead. I was just gonna say it's also how you how you you look at it too, or how you approach it. Because for you being a musician, and I'm guessing here because we we kind of discuss stuff like this, but not really. You look at things differently than maybe somebody who is not, and maybe he. Part of the appeal of the music is the presentation and the mystique over and above the actual well, that, song. That's, that's what I, that's what I got out of his response. You know what I mean? Like it, I just, just found that peculiar that the brain function, and I don't mean to trust me, this is all respectful. Realize that what both Richie and Ted were playing was far superior musician, musicianship wise than you know, or technically, than maybe what you know Ace was playing, but it it didn't. And, and trust me, obviously, I love Ace Frehley. He's one of my favorite guitar players of all time. But you know, um, there is a difference, and you, you have to be ignorant not to realize in the technical aspects of you know. But the three it, of those players. But, but for a lot of people, it doesn't matter one way or another. No, it's no, either, no, no. Like, you're, you're absolutely. It's either you like the song or you don't. So I can, I can see. Oh uh, yeah, his... I, I, I like Tommy. I can totally see. I never, I could care less about somebody's technical ability. I could care less about how great their drum fills are. I have no concept of timing. I have, none of that means anything to me. If the show is great, the song is great. I love it. That's it. Uh, And I'm right with you three. I agree. A great song is a great song. But the fact that we didn't, I didn't push that. Like, oh, these guys are superior. You know what I mean? Right. When I said, yeah, I I didn't push any of that. I didn't say. It's it's, it's just great how people, what people see differently about each song. And and one, one one of the things I've learned as I've gotten older is the more comfortable you get in not worrying about liking what the mob likes following the trend 
the more you're going to all of a sudden appreciate and discover great music because you know you know you know i'm the perfect living example i'm the guy who sits here and is like dude i will listen to crazy nights every day and i don't give a crap whether the rest i could be the only person on the planet who loves it and it wouldn't change that and when you can get to that point with your music taste you're quite comfortable in your music and you'll enjoy it is what you're doing now well, well yeah. One of, the, one of the reasons I, uh, I I included Rock in the Fillmore was because it's obvious where Paul Stanley, and what Paul Stanley openly admits, that's where he got his sort of electric preacher sort of people. Yep. Look, the the Lord God King of that is Steve Marriott. <laughs> right. Nobody. That's that's who but, Paul but, Stanley is trying to be. Right, but here's the thing, though. There's no parallel there for some people, meaning that you can say that there would be no rock and roll without blues, okay? I would never argue that, but it doesn't make me want to go listen to the blues. So I think the perfect example of this conversation is the first Cinderella record and how they looked. They specifically dressed that way to sell more records, and I believe they did. And if they would have had a different cover, it would not have taken off the way that it did. Because I completely agree. Because you know what I I've said it before. I only bought that album because of the cover. I'd never heard the band, right? But I saw it and I go, man, these guys look cool as shit. I gotta see what this sounds like. I was the opposite, Mike. I said they look fruity and terrible, but the music's great. And I was the same way with Faster Pussycat. I'm like, these guys are gonna suck until I listen to the record. Now this fucking record's awesome. Right. And, but see, so that was the total same, opposite. I didn't but, like but, that. Look. But you do it the same way, but the opposite, but you also are more open minded. Because let's talk about Accept, for instance, okay? I think they're considerably better now. And, and here's why because I look at Udo and go, what a loser. And that's why I couldn't listen to I can't even hear the music. I, I can't even freaking hear it. And then I see David Lee Roth and Van Halen and that's like the party and this and that. And I'm like, okay, now that's cool. But that, no, thank you. You know, and that's the difference. And that's how people look at things. So I can totally see where he's coming from. I think being, you know, we, we mentioned the new wave of British heavy metal earlier. Look, I loved Raven. I loved, you know, that whole sort of genre, that Saxon and that, you know, and even Maiden. But I mean, before you saw them, you, I, I heard them. Yeah. And I liked the aggression. And, and, and it's funny, speaking of Iron Maiden, I'm going to see Iron Maiden in a couple of weeks. Um, I was playing my son some, uh, some Jethro Tull, because I love Jethro Tull. And it's painfully obvious if you listen to especially like mid to early to mid 70s tall there's like, a lot of, lot of iron maiden riffs in there especially like uh oh god get off the gallery record there's crazy time signatures crazy guitar playing just i mean neil pert like drumming um but if you're not a fan again you know you, you don't know that stuff but it and, doesn't make the songs good for some people just because of that. You can take Richie Blackmore, for instance, that everybody thinks is one of the most elite guitar players ever to have played rock music. Again, I wouldn't argue with you at all. But his stuff, for the most part, does nothing for me at all. Whereas Eddie Van Halen, that's a whole different 
conversation for me personally. Doesn't make one any better than the other, but I think that's the beauty of music. You gravitate towards certain things that either you hope you are, you hope you are to be, or you are similar to that kind of reflect your feeling about things. And some stuff is going to give you goosebumps and some stuff is not. It's never right or wrong, but I think everybody kind of approaches it differently, you know? Well, you know, it's funny because using the, the Jethro Tull, he, he could do a pop song like Bungle in the Jungle. That was a top 10 song in the United States back in the early 70s. But then you go listen to, you know, Minstrel in the Galley, and it's just this crazy prog, you know, exercise that's yeah. eight minutes long. But see, I, it, it, I went, just as a musician... Once I started to play, I started gravitating towards Neil Peart and wanting to learn. And then when I'd go, oh, you know, I'd, I'd always pay attention to who they talked about. If 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 Getty Lee started talking about, oh, I you know, I wanted I wanted to be like Kim King Crimson, and then I started listening to them. Like now, I hear where that you know it hopped from here to here. You could hear their influences, and the same thing with the blues. I'm a big blues fan, but, but why? Because Jimmy Page talked about it all the time, and you saw Willie Dixon's name in the credits. You're, you're like, the exception to the rule because you oh, live. I don't think so because I have lots of friends that. Yeah, a lot I, of I think you're the exception to the rule. You live, eat, and breathe music. You are a musician, and I think that that puts you in a different category than many people who are. Um, you know, people that just listen to music. It's a whole different thing. You know, at least from my perspective, a lot of my friends, there's a clear definition between the, those who are musicians and those who are not. It seems like the musicians that want to know why so-and-so plays this way or why the influences have a tendency to go back and check out all of that stuff. But people that love music just for the joy of of how that music makes you feel just because I love Aerosmith. If they said to me that, well, yeah, our big influence is so-and-so I could go back and listen to that and it would do, I could maybe hear it, but I'd be like, well, this is nothing for me. I got into the Yardbirds strictly because Joe Perry and Alice Cooper preached them in seventies magazines. And that's how I got into the Yardbirds because I'm like, if, if, Two of my, if Alice Cooper and Steve Perry, or excuse me, Joe Perry love this, I got to check it out. And next yeah. thing you know, I'm, you know. I'm but that's a- considerably more open-minded than most people is what I'm trying to say. It puts you, as from my perspective, in a very unique category because you are so incredibly open-minded about it. And I don't think as many people are as you are so when he says something like that to you, you're just scratching your head like, well, I can find something in these other bands that I like, but there's a lot of people and I would have to probably lump myself in there too, that I'd be incapable of finding anything in that. I mean, my brother had all the Jethro Tull records, you know, and every time he'd put it on, he'd start cranking his quad stereo. I'd be like, (laughs) you know, thick as a brick. I know I'm in for 30 minutes on one side. Well, yeah, it's just, it's, you know, it's and it's not that it's bad music, but it does nothing for me any more than Muzak or elevator music. It, it It's almost like I block it out. I love that record, by the way. Right. <laughs> and I'm just using. Not great players or they haven't made creative music. I'm just saying it does nothing for me. I have no desire to seek more about 
someone that someone I like is influenced by. Because I look at it like, oh, okay, so you like uh, humble pie. I'm just using them as an example. Wonderful. Sounds like you fixed whatever their problem is, and I like your version way better. You know, like a. Okay, what happened here? Everyone just kind of looks at it from a different perspective. Not right or wrong, just different. Guys, guys we, 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 we need to wrap because i got to run to camp and pick up two really. of um, Let's throw out a homework question real quick. Have you been to his store? Well, and kind of, if so, okay. Or have you well, been to that type of event and anything like that local? Um, you know, would you? Would you? If, I mean, if you lived in Pig's Knuckle, Arkansas, and some kind of event uh, was like that, would you go to that? Why did that <laughs> pop into your mind, Mark? I don't know. watch Deliverance. <laughs> <laughs> what is Mark doing? What is Mark doing with pig's knuckles? <laughs> Wouldn't you like to know? All right, that's your homework question. What does Mark do with a pig's knuckle? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and what did All you? Right, we got to wrap. We got to wrap. Um, what's that? What'd you like about the discussion? You know, yeah, just give us your two cents. Facebook.com/slash three sides of the coin. You know where else to find us? YouTube, Spreak. So, well, uh, oh, Skype, Skype is really fucking up on me right here. All of a sudden, though, at least we All made it through sudden, the interview. Yeah, it's got to be Tommy's new computer. So you know where to go leave your comments. Leave us a review and a rating on iTunes and subscribe on YouTube. And we'll be Listen soon. to our radio station. Yep. And our, we'll our see show. you guys next on week. Sunday nights. So you love the show. Go to iTunes.3SidesOfTheCoin.com and leave your review and rating of Three Sides of the Coin. Thanks. Download your free, free copy of the KISS School of Marketing. 11 Lessons I Learned Working with KISS. The number one downloaded business book on Noise Trade. Go to books.noisetrade.com slash Michael Brandvold. You're listening to Three Sides of the Coin. Love the show. Go to iTunes.3SidesOfTheCoin.com and leave your review and rating of Three Sides of the Coin. Thanks.